Good morning. Well, we are continuing our series looking at the parables. And if you're new with us, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, we have been studying the parables of Jesus, and we studied the first two parables uh, in previous weeks, and now we're on to parables number three and four. Now, I have to tell you, this was not part of the plan, but we're only going to be able to finish one parable today. So your outline in your program is going to have two parables, but really you're just going to get one, and we'll finish the next one next week. Uh, so we're just going to go over one. But in setting us up for the parable, uh, I tr as I study the passage, I wait till the very end of studying to think about how to introduce uh, each lesson. And uh, as I was thinking about today's parable and about how Jesus taught it and what the uh, scope was gonna be and what the idea was gonna be, I thought, you know, I don't know how to prepare these people. So I shared it with Pastor Will, and Will's like, well, duh. Uh, there, did you know there's been a drought in Kansas the last couple years? And I was like, you know, Will, you know, a lot of people mistake me for a farmer. Um, <laughs> Uh, my, uh, my LG fridge doesn't do droughts, and so my tap water keeps running, so I'm not, you know. Anyway, uh, but he, he mentioned about how in Kansas, we've been going through a couple of series of droughts. It's just been hard for the farmers, the crops. Uh, I got word from some that uh, there are many farms in western and central Kansas. Some of the farmers didn't even bring out the combines because they know like the wheat is so short, the, you know, there's, there's no point in it. The crops just aren't doing well. And I thought, you know, that is just like our parable today. Because uh, I went out and uh, if you guys can't tell, you can't really tell. This is uh, sweet clover. It looks pretty wilty right now, but I took this out of the ground on Thursday. This looks better than some of the wheat crops that are out there right now. Uh, you know, wheat is not doing too hot right now, but you know what's killing it? Weeds. Isn't that crazy? What we don't want to grow grows so well. And right now, there are a number of farmers in Kansas and even beyond Kansas that are asking this question of, man, is our, are our crops going to make it? We, we are going to lose this year. Where is the rain? How are we going to succeed? How are we going to manage? Where, where are we going to get what we need? We need rain and we're not getting rain. Now, yesterday we did get rain, uh, but it was very spotty. I drove my kids to Wichita, or two of my kids to Wichita yesterday. I, I wanted to go out to Red Robin for my birthday. and My birthday is Monday tomorrow, and, uh, but I work on Monday, so I went yesterday. I take my kids down to Wichita and it starts raining so bad. I was going 25 miles per hour on I-35 going to Wichita. Now, I heard Newton didn't really get it, but Park City or whatever, it got it. And it was raining so hard that hail started coming down, and the car, I drive this really sweet, big Chevy Cobalt, and uh, the, the car, the 2009, it's great, uh, the car was uh, swaying left to right, and then the hail started coming down, and you know, like, I'm like driving slow, I've got my hazards on, like, some people who don't know how to drive are driving crazy. Listen, I don't care if you have a truck, you got to be sensible. There's other people without trucks on the road. you got to be careful. Anyway, people, not everybody was being careful. And my son in the front seat, uh, my 12-year-old, looked at me and says, 
is this okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's fine. I'm like nervous. I'm like, yeah, we're fine. I might pull over any second. And um, yeah, so we did get rain. Anyway, that has nothing to do with the sermon. But uh, we, we did get a little bit of rain. Uh, but this weed, even though it looks horrible right now, if you don't know what sweet clover looks like, it looks just like mustard plants. It looks so similar to mustard plants. Now, it's not identical. It's not like farmers mistake them, but not like the wheat and the weeds, the Darnell weeds. It's not like that. But mustard plant looks yellow and it looks similar to this. And that kind of question that farmers have right now today in our communities, how are we going to make it? Are we going to succeed? Are we going to thrive? Those were the same questions that the disciples had in their minds and hearts as Jesus was teaching them these parables. So if you look at Matthew 13, the seven parables that are mentioned in Matthew 13, all seven parables are parables of the kingdom. Some people even label them as mysteries of the kingdom. That's what I've done. Uh, they're parables of the kingdom that explain mysteries about the kingdom. And so the first parable, the parable of the soils, gives some bad news. It gives some reality to God's kingdom because remember, the Jews were ready to establish the kingdom. The Messiah was gonna come. The Jews were gonna reign. The other nations were no longer gonna oppress them. They were gonna be victorious throughout the world. And so the, the disciples were wanting this. We want the Messiah to come. We believe Jesus is the Messiah. Now is the kingdom gonna flourish? And so as Jesus tells the first parable, it's kind of negative. It's like, well, there's hard soil, and there's rocky soil, and there's thorny soil. But one-fourth, there's good soil. And then he gives them the parable of the weeds, or the wheat and the tares, some of you know. He gives the parable of the weeds, and, and there's an enemy that comes in the night, and he sows weeds all throughout the field to where even the servants are like, what are we going to do? We've got a weed infestation. How are we going to manage? And the farmer, the owner is like, leave it alone. We'll get it at the end. There's nothing you can do. There's going to be weeds. So after the first two parables, it's very likely that the disciples are like, well, this doesn't sound super positive. I mean, if you're the king, you're the Messiah, you're going to establish this kingdom, it kind of sounds negative from our point of view. How are we going to succeed? How are we going to manage with all this bad, unfertile, infertile soil out there? How are we going to manage with these weeds all throughout? Is the kingdom ever going to get off the ground? How, what is it going to look like? Because it doesn't look from our point of view, based on your first two parables, that this is going well. So Jesus answers those kinds of questions with the next two parables. Now we're only going to look at one, but he answers them through both. And he begins with the parable of the mustard seed. The parable of the mustard seed. So in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse uh, 31. Thank you. Believe it or not, I did know that is Matthew 13, 31. Not that I need to prove it. I love our family, by the way. This is great. All right, Matthew 13, 31. He presented another parable to them. This is right after the parable of the weeds, you know, the wheat and the tares. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when grown, it's taller than plants and becomes a tree. 
so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. Now, you may not know this, but this whole parable, this very short but explicit parable, is odd. There are facts about this parable that would make no sense to them yet. So let me share it with you. So he begins this parable. There's a man that takes a mustard seed and he sows it in his field. What's a mustard seed? Well, mustard seed back then was known for how small it was. There's a picture uh, of a mustard seed on the tip of a finger. That's how small it is. That picture to the right is a man's hand. I counted 76 seeds in the palm of that man's hand. If you take that picture and you count them, there's 76 seeds and there's probably more than that. There's at least 76. Mustard seed are so small. As a matter of fact, of the garden plants in Israel of Jesus' day, this was the smallest seed of all the garden plants that they used. Uh, The word mustard uh, in that text, it, it refers to mustard in general. But they know what a mustard seed's like. And mustard is a weed that grows rampant everywhere. It's not very different from sweet clover in some ways. A mustard seed also doesn't typically grow into a tree. It grows into a bush. So you can see bushes of mustard all over Israel today, just like there were 2,000 years ago. The next picture is a group of men walking through the mustard, just to give you some kind of comparison here. Those, that's in Israel, and there's some men there during springtime that are walking through, and look, look at the mustard bushes. They're so tall. They're like weeds. Now, it's very resilient. It's a resilient plant. Some would call it a strong and sturdy weed, and it can grow over 10 feet tall. Uh, there are pictures of of, of, you know, Christians going to Israel and posting them on their blogs and things. There's one man in particular that's a great scientist. He's like a botanist, and he shows a picture of a mustard uh, uh, plant that's over 10 feet tall, way taller than him, and he, he describes how he measured it and where he found it and the exact time of day and all that. And mustard plants can grow at least 10, foot, at 10 feet tall, but it's strange that Jesus would say it's a mustard tree. You wanna know a fun fact? You know how many people call the mustard plant a tree in Jesus' day? None. You will not get one single, not even an erroneous uh, literature, nothing that calls the mustard, garden, herb, vegetable plant a tree. Nowhere outside of Jesus' commentary in Luke. It's not found anywhere. Because of this, this is part of the problem, because of this, many Bible teachers have thought, well, he can't be talking about the actual mustard plant because it's not a tree. So some have speculated, well, Jesus must be referring to the tobacco tree. Uh, The tobacco tree you can find in Israel, the picture to the left that's a little covered, those are pods on the tobacco tree. A tobacco tree, if you were to walk next to a mature tobacco tree, you would say, oh, That's a tree. Now, it's not a very fancy tree. It's not a very big tree. It's not a very thick tree, but it's a tree. Now, if you walk next to a mustard bush, you'd be like, someone let that weed grow tall. It still looks like a weed. So some have speculated, Jesus must be talking about a tobacco tree because the seeds are super tiny. That picture of that palm, tobacco tree seeds are even smaller than mustard seeds. 
So some have said because they grow to 12, 15 feet high, they actually look like a tree. We call it a tree. We don't call the mustard tree a tree. No one calls it that. This, this must be what Jesus was talking about because if you go to Israel today, it's not rampant, it's not as big, you will find the random tobacco tree in Israel as you're traveling through. I've been to Israel, I'm hoping to go back this year. You, you can find tobacco trees there. However, according to Dr. L.H. Shiners, director of the Herbarium at Southern Methodist University in Dallas and lecturer at the Smithsonian Institution, so this guy should know what he's talking about, Back in 1985, he commented on this speculation. He said, the only modern crop plant in existence with smaller seeds than mustard is tobacco. Now, he's referring to that Middle Eastern culture, the agriculture, what's going on there. And this plant of American origin was not grown in the old world until the 16th century or later. So even though today, if you go to Israel, you find the tobacco tree, Guess what? The tobacco tree wasn't even in Israel 2,000 years ago. So we know Jesus wasn't talking about the tobacco tree, which brings us back to our original problem. In his parable, why does he call the mustard plant a tree? Well, let's look back at verse 32. Regardless of botany, we should trust Jesus in what he says. So what does he say? It's the smallest of all seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. That word for smallest, that original word that Jesus used, it's micros. Does that sound familiar? It might sound like microscopic. It's our word for micro, something microscopic. It's super tiny. It's the Greek word micros. That word for smallest means something that's inferior. Now, you know as well as I do, in Jesus' day, did they have microscopes? No. So when they use the term micros, they mean something that is inferior and smaller to the other things compared with it. In the same way, that word taller, it's not the actual word taller. It's the Greek word megas. What does that sound like? Mega. Like Jack's car is mega big, which it's not. Uh, or or this, this building is mega tall. It's a megatropolis. It's, we use the word mega to describe something that's incredibly large and greater than most other things like it. And so when Jesus is describing the seed, he's saying it's the smallest of all the seeds. By the way, if you really want to get in the weeds, no pun, the word for seed in verse 31 is not the same word as seed in verse 32, and there's a reason for that. He talks about the kernel, the grain, and then he talks about it producing uh, seeds. But anyway, the smallest of all the seeds, but when it grows, it's taller than the garden plants. So the garden plants, that's really one word in the original language, and it refers to herbs. It's only used four times in the New Testament, and it literally could be translated vegetable. So when Jesus is using the mustard seed, he's using something that everyone in his area knows about. The Romans actually introduced the mustard seed to Israel. The Romans brought it in because um, you can eat every plant of the mustard plant. Uh, now, they didn't make French's mustard like you might be thinking of. They didn't use that. They used it as a spice. It has a spice to it. If you imagine like... Uh, What's a spicy mustard? I, I don't use mustard a lot, but like a spicy Dijon type mustard, there's different kinds of mustards and seeds have a little bit of spice to it. The Romans brought that in uh, a couple hundred years before Jesus gave this parable. So uh, mustard plants have been growing rampant all over. 
And so when he's using this, they know that what he's saying is the mustard plant that we're all familiar with, the seeds are like the tiniest of all of our garden vegetables, and yet it grows to be the biggest. It is the biggest of all of them, like a tree. It becomes a tree. It's so tall, it's the height of a tree. No other herbs in their garden are even close to that height. So they understand what he's saying. In Mark chapter 4, verse 32, it won't be on the screen, uh, Mark, the author, writes, this is a parallel passage where Jesus is speaking about the mustard seed. He writes, the mustard plant produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Speaking of shelter. So birds can find shade or shelter from other predators in the mustard plant. So we would know this in Kansas. This isn't just Middle Eastern 2,000 years ago. You know small birds, how they hide in bushes, they hide in these trees because there's these predator, I love predator birds, by the way, I think they're amazing, red hawks and peregrine falcons, how they dive at 200 miles an hour. Predator birds are awesome, I love, I love uh, predator birds. Anyway, predator birds will come down and eat smaller birds. And so smaller birds will get into the shade, the shelter of like bushes and smaller plants like the mustard plant. And that's what Jesus is referring to. He's like, the, the mustard plant is more than just a vegetable crop in the ground. It grows to be like a tree. It's so tall and birds can come. And the word for nest actually does not mean specifically it builds a nest. The word for nest means to settle, to dwell in, if you look at the way that it's used. And so the birds come. They don't necessarily have to build nest in the mustard plant. They just shade themselves within the branches, which birds do all the time in, in bushes like mustard plants. So he's telling them the kingdom is like this. It, it starts super small. It grows super big, even so that it provides shelter and other things. So what does Jesus mean by the parable? How does this connect to the kingdom of God? And what does this have to do with us? What assurance is there for us? What does this mean for us? How does this describe the kingdom? Well, Jesus didn't give an explanation. In his teaching, in, in the Gospels, we have an explanation for the parable of the soils. We have an explanation for the parable of the weeds. We even have an explanation for some other parables, but not this one. He, we don't have the explanation recorded. So we have to learn from the rest of Scripture what did he mean in this parable. And I want to share just two general applications from the mustard plant parable. What are two general applications that we can glean from this uh, plant, from this parable. Number one, the kingdom will grow exponentially. What Jesus is clearly teaching is that God's kingdom is gonna grow exponentially. He presented the parable to them, verse 32, it's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. You know, this this should be encouraging to us because it should give us hope. I'll, I'll give a modern day uh, illustration of this. I have five kids and we have put our five kids into sports. And uh, they've done soccer, they've done basketball, uh, they also do piano and art and other things and we love getting our kids educated and, and skilled in different ways. But sports have been kind of the hardest for a couple of reasons. I know you can't tell by looking at me, I'm not the sportiest person in this room. 
Uh, also, I'm probably the least athletic, sporty person in this room. And so I don't know the rules to how you make goals or baskets or fouls or whatever. I don't know any of that stuff. So I can't exactly teach them how to do it. However, for some reason, I don't know when it happened, I was able to make three-point shots playing basketball. Now, not if someone's guarding me, and if I have to dribble, I'm done for. But I can make some threes. So I go with my boys to go play basketball because a couple of them are really into basketball. And I go and we shoot and I start shooting threes and I'm just like making like six in a row, just shooting threes. And my son's like, oh, you know how to play basketball. I'm like, no, I don't. I know how to shoot from right here to in there. That's it. And so my son tries shooting the basketball. And of course, what always happens with little bitty kids, he just, he like tries to lob it. Oh, he throws it up there. He's trying all his mind. He's like, I'm never going to be any good at this. I was like, dude, you're almost as tall as I am at 12, okay? You're, you're going to make it, okay? Yeah, I'm bigger than you, okay? I can, I can shoot because I have muscles. That's it. I can just get it in the, I don't have to throw my whole body to get it up there. That will happen for you eventually. And I tried to encourage him because you know how he felt in that moment? Discouraged. Discouraged. I'm never going to be big enough. I'm not going to be big enough. And I'm like, dude, don't worry, one day you're going to grow. I know right now you seem small, and it seems like what you want to do is impossible for you because you're not big enough to do it, but I'm telling you, one day you're going to be bigger than me. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're as tall as I am at 12. Trust me, you are going to be taller than me. And when I'm 50 and 10 years, listen, I'm not going to have muscles. You're going to be stronger than me. You are going to pass me up. You will grow. Don't be discouraged. And that's part of what Jesus is explaining with the parable of the mustard seed. The kingdom, though extremely small and insignificant, and you may feel right now, are we ever going to succeed? Are we going to lose everything this year? Is this going to be a, a are we going to lose? Are we going to lose out on this? You know, Jesus had 12 disciples. He came from the backwaters of Galilee in a nowhere town. He didn't have a great following in the sense of people that were truly dedicated to him. He's only been in ministry at this point for a couple years, not even three years at most. The disciples are likely wondering with the soils and the weeds, is this ever going to get off the ground? And Jesus is like, listen, let me tell you about my kingdom that I'm establishing. It's going to grow. It's going to grow. It's going to seem insignificant and small. It's going to be bigger than anything else compared to it. There's nothing else in the world like it that is going to be its size. It is going to dwarf everything else because of what it is. So the kingdom is going to grow exponentially. And that ought to give us hope. Um, you know, it, it made me think of uh, Elijah you know when Elijah was on Mount Carmel? And Elijah was that prophet that was just, man, he was a showman. He's like the greatest showman. He just, he went all out with a lot of his miracles and his, his preaching. We don't have any writings really of Elijah and Elisha. Uh, they, were, they were preaching prophets. They were miracle uh, prophets. And so Elijah was just a big showman of, of the prophets. And he was on Mount Carmel and he had, you know, the 450 prophets of Baal and he calls them up there and, and they drench the altar for him and their Baal does nothing and God consumes the fire and he kills, kills the prophets. And Elijah's like, you guys determine, are you going to follow Baal or are you going to follow the Lord, Yahweh? 
What are you going to do? Make up your mind. You're God's people. Let's get to it. He makes this big stand, even so much like right after that on Mount Carmel, you know, the little hand cloud comes and then the rain comes and he's like the flash running past the chariot and he's getting down there. He performs this amazing miracle or God performs the miracle through him. He gets down and then what happens? Jezebel. Yeah, Jezebel. She threatens his life, and what does he do? Oh, oh no, Jezebel's going to get me. So he runs. He goes all the way to Mount Sinai eventually. He runs south. He's scared. Oh, Jezebel's going to get me. And you would be reading this thinking, Elijah, I mean, come on, boy. What what do you... You just, you just confronted every false prophet in your nation, and one lady's going to scare you. I mean, I've had some teachers before that I, I could relate to this a little bit, but I'm like, dude, you're a man, okay? You need a man up. He does not man up, and he runs, and, and God even sends birds. They bring him, like, juicy juice and crackers and all these things. He's, like, feeding on all this stuff, and you're like, dude, God is performing miracles. Taking, he takes a nap. He goes to a cave, it takes a nap, and you're like, dude, God is like, this is like kindergarten playground thing. You are getting babied to death. Why are you afraid? Well, God confronts him. He says, where are you? I love that. Almost like with Adam. Where are you? Why are you here? You're in the complete opposite direction of where I'm wanting to send you. Why'd you flee? And Elijah's like, oh, you know, I'm the only one left. It's just me. And, uh, and there's no one else, and Jezebel's after me, and there's no one else that's righteous, and no one else is doing this stuff, and it's just me. And God, I'm paraphrasing, but I could just, <laughs> I, I can imagine in the story as you're reading it, God's like, okay, chill out, okay? Why don't you calm down? I've got thousands of prophets, thousands of righteous men that have never bowed the knee to Baal. It's not just you. Do you ever feel alone in your faith? Like you're just standing for your faith, but you're the only one? I mean, everywhere you go, Walmart, the gym, neighborhood stuff, church stuff even, and you, you start to question, like, am I the only one that, that really believes in this so much that I'm willing to fight? I'm willing to go against the, and not with physical weapons, our warfare is not with physical weapons. This is we spiritual powers is what we're working against. Praying, fasting, getting on your knees, waking up early. Good grief, do something. But sometimes you feel like, am I the only one that's like giving my heart and soul to this? God's kingdom, without your help, is going to grow exponentially. Now you're involved, you're included, you're welcomed, and you're part of it. But don't forget, you're not alone. God's kingdom is bigger than you can imagine. God's kingdom is going to grow unexpectedly. I mean, exponentially. That's first application. Second application, the kingdom will grow unexpectedly. This is where the mustard plant really takes the stage. This is where the parable finally makes sense. Why does he use a mustard plant? There's a lot of other trees in Israel that he, quote, should have used. Jesus used a mustard tree to explain the kingdom, but this makes no sense because the mustard plant isn't quite a tree. Now, it becomes tall like a tree. You could call it like a tree, but it's not what anybody considers a tree. Well, 
This takes us back to the Old Testament because in Jesus' parable, he quotes and uses language from some Old Testament prophets. I cannot go through all of them because you guys don't like it when we go too late. So I'm going to give you a couple, but you can look in Daniel. You can look in Ezekiel. I'll give you some references. You go search it out. Have fun. I'll just show you in Ezekiel 17, starting in verse 22. This is what the Lord God says. I will take a sprig from the lofty top of the... This is important. That's the only... I'm not just trying to do this for effect. I will take a sprig from the lofty top of the... Cedar and plant it. Now, this is a prophecy that God is giving through Ezekiel about his kingdom. This is a future messianic prophecy about the kingdom of Israel. I will pluck a tender sprig from its topmost shoots, and I will plant it on a high, towering mountain. Ooh, anybody know what mountain he's talking about? I feel like Jerusalem. Verse 23, I will plant it on Israel's high mountain. Now, he's not talking about the tallest He's talking about Jerusalem, where he's going to establish Jerusalem. I will plant it on Israel's high mountain so that it may bear branches, produce fruit, and become a majestic So good. He's prophesying. He's giving them the good news about his kingdom. Continuing in verse 23. Birds of every kind will nest under it, taking shelter in the shade of its branches. <gasps> what does that make you think of? Well, if you were back in Jesus' day and he's giving the parable of the mustard seed and he talks about it growing and becoming a tree and the birds of the sky will come and nest in its branches. They will find shade and shelter in the branches. You're thinking, oh, I've heard this prophecy before. We know what this prophecy is about. It is about his kingdom that he's going to establish. But wait a minute, Ezekiel and Daniel, they used cedar tree, not mustard. Anyway, birds of every kind will nest under it, taking shelter in the shade of its branches. Then all the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. Yes, yes, Yahweh, yes, God of Israel, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, the one true God. Every other tree, meaning every other nation, every other person, everyone else is going to know this cedar, this majestic tall. Think of it like a redwood forest tree. This amazing, humongous, majestic, fantastic tree, every other tree around it's going to say, oh, I thought I was a tree, but that's a tree. You know, everyone's going to know this is the one. Then all the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I will bring down the tall tree and make the low tree tall. Wait a minute. This is, this is opposite. What, why this paradigm? What do you mean you're going to take the tall tree and make it low and the low tree and make it tall? I caused the green tree to wither and make the withered tree thrive. Well, that's opposite. Uh, you can't, who does that? You can't do that. You don't take a dead tree and make it alive and take a little scrawny, no good looking, nobody wants tree and make it into the grandest tree. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. In the Old Testament, the cedar trees of Lebanon were the majestic trees. They were gorgeous. You know what wasn't gorgeous? The mustard plant. Not even a tree to most people. It doesn't look like what we would expect. 
It, it, it grows large, but not like a great tree. And, it, and in Ezekiel, where Jesus is quoting from, in your Bible, actually, if you have the NASB, if you have the ESV, if, a number of English translations, that parable, in the parable of the mustard seed, you might see in all caps, the birds of the sky, they will nest under its branches. And it might be in all caps because it's pointing to a quote in the Old Testament. A lot of Bible teachers, they understand that he's quoting from the Old Testament. However, the imagery of the birds and the trees are different. You know, when we think about birds building nests, it usually brings to mind something good and helpful. You know, a mama bird, so sweet. She works her tail off, her feathers off, and uh, her tail feathers. Anyway, she works really hard. And she gets the stuff for the nest, and she builds the nest. And, and what she wants to do, she wants to make a home. She wants to make a safe haven, a place of protection for her babies. They cannot protect themselves. She's creating a place. We think of the safe haven, and examples of these birds can be found in Daniel chapter 4, verses 10 to 12 and 20 to 22, Ezekiel chapter 31, 3 to 6. And when, when the Old Testament prophets speak about the great nations around them, they, they use the cedar tree as the example. This is the symbol, the cedar tree. It, ta- it speaks of uh, Syria. Uh, the prophets would speak of Assyria like this great tree and, and all the nations around them will find shade under them for a short period of time. Uh, and then it talks about Babylon. And you know, Assyria took over the northern kingdom in 722 and then the southern kingdom 586 with the Babylonians. You know, Israel got taken, you know, the southern and northern kingdoms. It speaks about these two nations like trees. So, so we have this example from the Old Testament where Jesus is saying, a tree is like a nation, a great nation that other people can, can get into. So Jesus is saying, at the very least, that the kingdom of heaven is going to be a shelter and a blessing to other nations. But he pivots and uses a mustard tree as, it ex- as his example. Why? Because Jesus in the New Testament, the reason why it's called New Testament, that word testament comes from the Latin testamentum, it means covenant. It's just a translation of the word covenant. The new covenant that Jesus is bringing in his blood, the new kingdom. Remember, he doesn't call it just the kingdom. He will call it the new kingdom. He is establishing God's kingdom on earth. This is a new covenant, a new kingdom. One day it's gonna be fulfilled. There's gonna be a new heavens and new earth. His kingdom will be there. When we talk about Zion, new Jerusalem, we're talking about God's kingdom being fulfilled. When Jesus gives the mysterious parables of the kingdom, He throws in this idea of the mustard tree to stop every Jew listening to him saying, but I thought it's supposed to be a cedar because Jesus is teaching, my kingdom is not gonna be what you expect. It's not gonna look like what you are thinking it ought to look like. When it gets to your house, it's gonna be packaged and packaged different than what you're expecting. It might come to your very doorstep and you might say, nope, it hasn't come yet because it's not what you're thinking it is. I think this explains why Jesus in the next verses after the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven in verses 34 to 35, listen to Jesus' words. Jesus told the crowd all these things in parables and he did not tell them anything without a parable so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. 
I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept kept secret from the foundation of the world. Jesus tells them, I'm teaching and explaining things to you that have been kept secret since I made the world. In other words, the Old Testament, those prophets, they did not understand what I was going to do. Now, it didn't mean what they said wasn't true. He's just explaining this has been a mystery, a quote, secret. That word for secret is like mystery. This has been part of the secret of God's kingdom because it's not going to be like what you expect. Now, I can't explain it all. I'll just have to summarize. The Jews were expecting a kingdom of Jews, not Gentiles. Jesus came to establish a kingdom of Jews and Gentiles. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And the whole New Testament is full of this explanation. The people, even the apostles, even Peter in Galatians chapter 2, it was hard for them to get it. Even decades after Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus' kingdom is a mystery in a sense because it's not going to look like what you want it to look like. It's going to be this different. And that's why he doesn't use the cedar tree. That's why he, quote, misquotes. He doesn't really misquote. He's teaching them the mysteries of the kingdom. Part of the secret or mystery was that God will save people from every nation and make them his people. And that's what God wants to do. God wants to bring people from every nation into his kingdom, into his family. And he wants to use you to do it. He wants you to be his hands and feet, to be his salt and light, to be his agents, uh, to be his messengers of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be his ministers of the word. He wants you to be his hands and feet so that every person will know and be invited into his kingdom. The kingdom is going to grow exponentially and it's going to grow unexpectedly. When it matures, it will not look like what everybody for 1,500 years was thinking it's going to look. That's why Jesus was murdered, or at least part of the reason. He was not the Messiah they expected to come. He did not inaugurate a kingdom they expected to be there. Now, there are warnings in the parable and I, I do want you to know that uh, some Bible teachers take the parable of the mustard seed and they see the, the warning in it, the negative reality. Actually, Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite Bible teachers, he's passed away now, but he wrote, he, I love his commentary, such a great, brilliant Bible teacher. He titles and gives the parable of the weeds as false believers, the parable of the mustard seed as false growth and the parable of the leaven as false doctrine. Because like some Bible teachers, and I just want you to be aware of this, they see the negative reality to everything good God is doing. And if you connect it with the parable of the soils and the parable of the weeds, the context and the theme is the kingdom's gonna grow, 
but it's gonna be full of weeds and not everybody's gonna accept it and it's gonna be different than you think. And so they bring out the reality that God's kingdom is gonna be so big and so grand, like a mustard plant that you would not expect would be significant and grow. But it's gonna be so large that there's gonna be groups of people that claim to be a part of the kingdom and they are not. There are gonna be cults and pockets of people that claim Christianity and I'm part of the kingdom and they are not gonna be part of God's kingdom. And so the negative reality of God's kingdom, because Satan always perverts the good into bad uh, with everything in life, just pick anything, whether it's uh, children or food or sex or you name it, everything that good that God gives us when it's not used correctly is what sin is. That's the definition of sin. Well, Satan, like an enemy, is gonna try to use the exponential unexpected growth of the kingdom to confuse people into thinking we're all in the same family. Not everybody that claims the kingdom of God is part of, is, are Christians. And so this theme could be woven through all seven parables if you read them that way, and I just wanted you to be aware of the warning. But here's the idea. What's the parable of the mustard seed? Well, the point, the mega point, the, the big idea of the parable of the mustard seed is it's about astounding growth. The whole idea behind this parable is Jesus is saying the growth of the kingdom is gonna be astounding. Now, I use the word astounding because astounding means something that's surprisingly impressive. It's noticeable, but you wouldn't expect it. You wouldn't expect it to be that way. So in that way, God's kingdom is gonna grow like you wouldn't expect, and it's not gonna look like you would expect. It's gonna have astounding growth. And so you don't have to be alone. You could be a part of what God's doing, but you need to understand the warning side, but there are gonna be people that claim to be a part of the kingdom, and they're not. So we have to be discerning, and we have to be a strong, healthy church family where we're teaching true doctrine, right things according to God in order to be that people. And so that's the parable of the mustard seed. Next week, we'll look at the parable of the leaven. Yeast is super fun. We'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the way that you give us parables that are memorable, that we can hide in our hearts and you can encourage us. I thank you that we're not alone, that your kingdom will succeed. There's no threat of you losing. Uh, the gates of Hades will not prevail. Your church will accomplish the mission you've set out for us. And even though it feels like there's a drought and we're losing, will this ever happen? We know that you're working. And so we trust you. We give our church and ourselves to you. We love you because you first loved us. Thank you for your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.